Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. If you just got in your car or flipped on the radio, we had a really lovely last hour. So I always encourage you, if you missed any of the program, go look at the topics, see if they interest you, and click on the podcast, and you don't have to miss a thing. I'm so glad to have my friends uh, Rick Madsen and John Fonts with me live in the studio right now. And we're going to talk today about spiritual conversations. I hope it's on the tip of our tongue all day long that we're open, willing, and wanting to have spiritual conversations. I think adults, people are are craving meaningful adult conversation about things that are important. And there's nothing more important than eternity mm. and your spiritual reality. Mm. So, Well said. Thank you. We got a lot to live up to, my friends. I know. Well, that's quite an introduction. <laughs> Climb the Temple Mount here. Yeah. So welcome, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Good to see you. Good to see you, Thank you. I always enjoy having you two in, and it's always stimulating conversation. And as we talk about conversations today, <laughs> um, where would you like to start this one? Well, Go think, ahead. Yeah, yeah. you're going to talk about Scripture has something to say about yeah. this. Yeah. Um, so as as Rick and I were thinking about, um, we often are talking about evangelism and thinking about how we are in our increasingly secular culture, how are we being light? And we thought that this topic of conversation feels really critical. And it immediately drew me to Colossians 4. um, verse 6, which says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So the Apostle Paul here is talking exactly to his church about this very topic that we're going into, that we want our conversation to be full of grace and full of salt, that, as you said, that that something interesting, something meaningful, something that draws us deeper, that people want to take that next bite or have that next word or ask that next question. Mm. So it's in response to Colossians that, and um, a lot of what you're seeing on campuses as well, uh, Rick, out there doing your spiritual uh, conversation work. Yes, College campuses need quality conversation. Uh, They really do. Sometimes it's just lecture in the classroom, so it's one way. Sometimes it's social media, which is weird back and forth, not the kind of conversation. I mean, it's not worthless. It's worth something, definitely. Mm -hmm. But it's not the kind of interpersonal conversation that can really uh, elevate a situation or elevate a relationship or elevate a topic between two people, two or more people. Um, so you get that on campus, but gosh, sitting in the student union <laughs> with uh, students and professors and having enough time and space to really talk to each other and really listen to each other and consider ideas maybe that you don't agree with or you don't know about, um, 
that's needed on campus. It's it's a rare art. I asked you a question today, <laughs> and I said, when was the last time you were talking with someone, and that person just hung on every word that you said, <laughs> and you had a hard time coming <laughs> It was. That's I think, not a common occurrence in our right culture anymore. I was. I really had the privilege today of meeting with a friend and doing, was doing some networking, and he and I got into a conversation where we were clearly hanging on each other's hmm. words, wow. and it felt like I would throw out an idea, and then he would build on that idea and ask a question, and, and you felt like you were constructing something. It wasn't like he had an agenda and had a bunch to tell me, or I had an agenda, had a bunch to tell him. But instead, together, we built something that wasn't there before we entered into that. And that's really the art of conversation. It isn't just me getting my ideas out there or you getting your ideas out there, but that together we're bringing something, something unique is happening here because our ideas are combining and building on one another and it's creating something that feels exciting, feels like it wasn't there before. Uh, You and I were talking about what's the effect of a good conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, You often feel energized, you feel alive, you're left thinking about something or, and definitely, gee, you want to do coffee with that person again again, because that was so intriguing, yes. you know? Well, maybe we could talk about a general philosophy of conversation. What is this animal we're speaking of? And what are some qualities of good conversation? One that you just mentioned is that conversation, it elevates the two people. Let's say we're talk- it's two people at this point, because Bill isn't here in the room right now. And we're, <laughs> no, we're just kidding. Bill. Oh, Bill, hi. Hey. I forgot about you. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, Rosie, how's it going over there? Yeah. Let uh, me look at the card that says the Bill Arnold Show. Okay. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> if you cut my pay. No, don't worry. Okay, no, okay, don't worry. No, I'm in good hands. You okay. guys are doing great. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the point of a philosophy of conversation is that it, it goes somewhere. It doesn't leave us standing where we were. Right. Like I just emptied everything I know out on you. Right. A dump. And here we yeah. are. Yes. Yeah, or you just emptied everything you right. know out on me, and here we or are. Or we just talked past each other. Yeah. That's not really the kind of conversation we're talking about here. Or carrying parallel monologues. You're carrying on. Yes. I'm not listening to you. I'm just waiting for you to stop talking so I can start talking. Yes. And when you said we're building on something, that was a beautiful image. Because you guys are constructing something together. Right. You're not just exchanging monologues. Right. Yeah. And in fact, I would say that that monologuing thing is really deadly that to is. conversation. Oh, yeah. that is. Like if you want to kill a conversation, you start doing that monologuing mm-hmm. thing where it could be anybody in the room. I just have my spiel and I'm running through my spiel. Mm-hmm. And that just, that is devastating to a conversation. It's one of the reasons why, while we like a lot of what social media does, it often has that sort of, you start with a monologue and then people are responding to your monologue and you're responding to their responses, but it all begins with that monologue. So really, I always want to say what you're doing on your Facebook page or Instagram or whatever is different than a conversation because a conversation is really inviting and trying to create a space where the other person brings what they have to the table, you bring what you have, and suddenly something unique forms out of that. That you didn't walk in the room with. 
right. It's it's right. something that's been created mm-hmm. uh, with the people who are involved in the conversation. I love that. Yeah, I you know, too. you are the pro. I got to say, you are a, a conversation pro. And so when we talk, I uh, go away feeling enriched. And and that just reminds me. It, it, so you model that very well, but it reminds me that I want to be an interested person so that I'm interested in what you're saying. I also want to be an interesting person. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, And and that means I need to have something to contribute to this conversation. I want to be a well-rounded person. I want to have interests in topics, in culture, in intellectual things, in sports and recreation and travel. And, and, to be an observer of those things and, and to ponder them a bit so that when you and I get together or whatever the conversation is, that I have something to contribute to this conversation. But I also want to be a learner of, of what you're saying. So maybe you, why don't you talk just a bit about what it means to be a true learner? Because we were, we were talking about this yeah, before. Yeah, we kind of got into this. Yeah, we, we did. We talked about two things, really, when we were sort of prepping for this. We were talking about um, the whole concept of intellectual hospitality. Hmm. What does that, that mean? Yeah. So intellectual hospitality. If you think about what you do, how you lay a dinner table and you prepare for your guests and you try to make them comfortable and you're creating a space where you get to have relationship together. Well, intellectual hospitality is doing that with ideas so that when someone comes into the room with ideas I make a space for those. I don't need to crush ideas right away. I don't need to fight. We're having a conversation, not a debate. And debates are very useful. We want to say that right away. Maybe down the road a bit. Yeah, and they're great tools to use. But what we're talking about today is conversation. We aren't here to tear things down. We're really here to try to create a space where ideas have a chance to, to be explored Um, So I can ask questions about things I may disagree with, but want, but honestly, am curious about, honestly want to understand better. Help me understand your experience at the Buddhist ashram. Explain it again to me, or um, tell me about that trip, or tell me about that conversation, or tell me about your atheism. I want to understand more. It's having this to not like crush ideas or say there are things that are just, they're um, unwelcome. This is an unwelcoming space Mm -hmm. to ideas. Mm -hmm. So we feel like part of the learning is to say, let ideas breathe a little. Let give there some space and time and some welcome. We don't need to be defensive about everything. Right. And do I have the kind of intellectual curiosity that would open up that space? And do I have the kind of security in Christ, in my own relationship with Christ, to be able to entertain ideas that are different than the worldview that I hold? And I think that requires a kind of relational and uh, intellectual humility. (laughs) Am I willing to learn from another person that I probably disagree with? So I tend to hang out with atheists and Muslims, you know? (laughs) And so there's a lot of dialogue that goes back and forth. And I'd say most of it is productive, not always. But uh, to be comfortable in those conversations means that I think the Lord calls me to a kind of intellectual humility that really wants to know what they're saying and why they're saying it, where that came from, and what the basic arguments are for that, and what their maybe home background was, where they learned that. 
uh, all of those things. And, and now I can sit and ponder and think about that, and then I can say, well, as a Christian, how might I respond to that? And if there's an open door, I can share something about my worldview and, and so forth. And if you have a really good conversationalist, they're asking you questions as well. Yeah. That doesn't always happen. <laughs> uh, but I do think that when we're in these conversations, if, if it's going to be elevated, especially with a person with whom we have disagreement, that it takes a kind of humility on both sides. And if it isn't on the other side, then at least we can bring that kind of humility to the conversation ourselves mm. as Christians. So good. All right. We're going to take a little break, come back, continue our discussion on spiritual conversations with Rick Matson and John Afonso. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm Carmen LeBurge. If you enjoy what you're listening to here, consider subscribing to other great faith radio podcasts like mine. Search Mornings with Carmen LeBurge at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts and hit subscribe. So glad to be back with Rick Matson and John Afonso. We're talking about spiritual conversations. And John, uh, just during the break, I was asking you about a question that came in about how do you politely, uh, you know, how have you politely <laughs> geared people toward building on this conversation instead of just staying stagnant on the monologue? Right. You, you talked about constructing this conversation yeah. together. That's a lovely image. But what happens when you can't get people on board with that and they just want to stay stuck in a monologue? Right. So one of the things that Rick and I want to say is um, right away, let's first of all, you know, draw the circle of responsibility around our, ourselves yes. and just be aware yourself of, <laughs> yeah, of when you, we get nervous or we're kind of excited because we, we sense God's doing something, we can get monologuey. So you said that you heard, uh, you have a, a gentleman who has oh, modeled Den this. Dennis Prager. I mean, yeah. he's a, a conservative radio host. I yeah. don't agree with everything he says, but he said, my rule is speak for four sentences and then stop Brilliant. to see A, if anyone's still listening, <laughs> <laughs> and B, to give somebody else a chance to talk. Yeah, that's right. So if we can monitor ourselves on this, right, we're just reducing the number of monologuers in the room. <laughs> I do think that um, interrupting with questions, and actually you can, I'm just thinking about some of my small groups training that I've done. So is you can literally kind of break in and say, hey, can I, I need to break in here for just a second, <laughs> you know? Uh, you can literally it, use that kind of language and just say, you said, if you can say something about what they said, so you mentioned blah, right. blah, blah. Right. That made me think about, and then again, four sentences, you're modeling for people. If people aren't good conversationalists, you're going to say four sentences at the <laughs> most of something about that and say, and then you hand it back off. It's this game of ping pong, right? <laughs> you knock the ball back to him. So what did you... Does that make sense to you or, mm -hmm. or have you heard something, you know, you're, so you're kind of, sometimes you actually have to step in. I'm just, 
in situations and kind of go, can I interrupt here, you know, <laughs> it, to help break through the monologue. And then you're trying to help. It's called really signaling the other person. You're kind of signaling to mm. them. I'm going to say a few things. And now look at me. I'm handing it back off to you, you know, and hopefully they can pick up on that cue hopefully. eventually, you know. <laughs> But it's not easy. Rick, you have a, a like a rule of thumb kind of that you use for your conversations. Yeah. And before I, I share that, I was oh. in a conversation the other day where someone was talking a lot and they said, oh, I talk too much. And then they proceeded to keep <laughs> keep doing the same thing for the next 20 minutes. And the rest oh. of us were sitting in the room falling asleep. No. Uh, but yeah, it's the 40-60 model. And it's part of the evangelism training that a few of us in InterVarsity Offer to churches and campuses. And the 4060 model says that you try to limit yourself to talking in a conversation 40% of the time. Try to draw the other person out and allow them space to speak at least 60% of the time. It's a discipline. <laughs> it's not that easy, especially if you feel like you got something you really want to say, but to hold back and allow the other person. And then if you feel the need to make it equal, to make up that last 10% to get to 50-50, well, maybe... Uh, do that in prayer. <laughs> you get your other 10% uh, with the Lord in, in prayer. But I do think it is a form of the hospitality that you were mentioning before. This is intellectual, relational, and conversational hospitality. And that means the host, which quite often is Christians, the host tries to limit themselves to 40% of the, of the talk time right. and allow the other person to speak at least 60% of the time. It doesn't always work. It's an ideal to shoot for. Sometimes it doesn't work out that way, but I just find it a super helpful discipline. Yeah, I like that. One of the things I try and not do very successfully is when you're in conversation, say, I say to myself, is that person completely done with their thought? Hmm. And you wait an extra hmm. beat or two and go, are they completely done talking? Hmm. And then you can say something. And and try, trying to converse that way can be very tiring because, you know, the way a thought pops into your head and you almost think to yourself, if I don't say it now, I'm going to forget it. Yeah. So you kind of barge in with something. And oh, were, were you finished? Were you yeah, finished with your yeah. thought? Well, I guess you were. <laughs> <laughs> but, but to try to sit and wait and go, okay, they're completely done with their thought. Now it's my turn to say something. It's, that's, you're on eggshells. And... And that's really humble, Bill. That's a really humble posture to take. Um, I am terrible at anticipating the end of someone else's sentence and and heading off in a direction. Like I'll sometimes even say the last word I think they're going to say. <laughs> so that I can get going. <laughs> oh, it's just terrible. It's a terrible flaw of mine. My poor husband, bless his heart. Um but to, to be so humble that their last word, that you want that last word, you're paying attention so closely to that, that you want to understand every word, that, I think, is that relational humility that we're looking for that leads to great conversations. I was in a restaurant the other day, and uh, an acquaintance asked me a question, and as soon as I started talking, his eyes drifted up to the sports on the screen above my head. <laughs> you know, that was bad listening. He's a good guy. But I thought, gosh, am I that boring? <laughs> but I do think listening is a lost art in mm. our culture, and I was wondering if we could talk about listening a little bit. Uh, some of the listening skills that I try to be committed to, what you just said, allowing people to finish their thoughts, but... 
I think active listening gets my body involved and gets my face involved. I'm not just sitting back passively or just staring at the other person. Uh, I have another acquaintance who just stares at me when I talk, and then I'm like, hello, are you? I know you're looking at me, but I don't know that you're really interacting with what I'm saying. So can I return the favor here in a better way and be an active listener with my body language and my face? And when there's a time to ask a question, uh, to go ahead and ask that question and draw them out more and to have that kind of curiosity about another person, which is a form of love thy neighbor. I think it's right there in the Bible. Love means quite a bit of the focus here is, is on them. And what can I do to draw them out by asking good questions? That is a lost art in our culture. And when I get with someone like you who does take the time and makes the effort to draw me out and allows me to express my ideas and maybe to express ideas I hadn't even put together before a good question came my way. That is a real gift to people, and in evangelism, it is absolutely exquisite. And it is really easy to tell when someone is really tuned in to mm-hmm. you. How, how energizing it is when people, their faces are responsive, there's nods, there's Hmm. There's, you know, any that that sort of engaging with your, I like what you said, your whole body Mm -hmm. gets into it. You're facing that person. You may lean forward, you may lean back, but you're responding physically to what they're saying. Um, It communicates. Again, it's catching. If I've listened well to you, people that have some kind of emotional intelligence will often often want to listen well back. Mm-hmm. So I think that full body listening is a great, just a great image to have. I went out and spoke at a campus uh, recently and I brought along a friend and afterward the friend asked me several questions about my talk and interaction with students and he just drew me out. I just felt so cared for. It was kind of unusual actually. <laughs> it was pretty cool. Uh, Now, I happen to have a spouse who's good at these things, too, which I'm very thankful for. But in our culture, for someone to actually draw another person out with true curiosity, I think is rare. I want to also mention this idea of listening to people in stereo. Mm, Nice. Okay, so if in witness, let's say, in evangelism, if we believe that God goes before us in witness, that God is the one who opens up conversations for us, he's the one who's opening the door, then... We need to be in the process of discerning what God is doing in the life of this other person. And that means we ask questions. So then we, I like to tilt my head like this as an illustration, maybe not (laughs) actually in the conversation, but so left ear is up and I'm listening in stereo. One ear is on the Holy Spirit. What is the Spirit doing in this conversation and what am I supposed to say? And the other person is tuned into, and and the other ear, I should say, Mm -hmm. is tuned into this fine person made in the image of God, who's sitting in front of me, and listening in stereo, that can really, that can really boost uh, our ability to witness well because we're in lockstep with what God is doing uh, in this, this encounter. Mm-hmm. We're talking about spiritual conversations today. If you have a question or comment, you can text it over 877-933-2484. When we come back, I think we're going to keep talking about listening because it's so important. Rick Matson and John Afonso are my guests. We'll be right back.
afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time, let's get it started. Jump in your car, what's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. I'm back with Rick Matson and John Fotz. We're talking about spiritual conversations and listening and we got lots more to cover. This has been really interesting so far. Thank you. Yeah. So, Johnny, you got some work to do with listening, and then we're going to move on. Well, actually, Bill, you were sharing an interesting anecdote about a book you've just read about the art of listening. Well, I read that years and years and years ago. Yeah. It just came out okay. in its third edition. And oh, the author, yeah. Mike Nichols, I had on the show. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And I, I applied some of his principles after reading the book. And after three days, I realized I was exhausted because <laughs> <laughs> listening is hard work. But in those three days, I had many people say to me, this is like the best conversation I've ever had I just with you. love that story, Bill, because it isn't like you had like suddenly finished your PhD mm-hmm. and had downloaded a bunch more information and you were just way smarter. It was actually just that you were so intently listening mm-hmm. that it elevated the conversation. And I think that's one of the aspects. It really is talk and listen. <laughs> and um, if you lean too heavily into the talk side, which honest to God, I'm a preacher, that's what I do, you diminish the conversation. You have to lean heavily yeah, into that listening. Rick, here's a story you'll like. Um, every time I hear a story like this, it always gets my attention uh, because I had someone that had a conversation with uh, President Bill Clinton uh, and and he said, it was like I was the only one in the room. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then the same with Arnold Palmer. Arnold Palmer. Arnold Palmer, yeah. That he had that ability to make people feel so special, like you were the only person in the in the in the room, or that mattered, and I thought, what a gift that is! Yeah, yeah. Don't we all aspire to that? Yeah, that's yeah. an intense. That's a powerful gift of listening. Yeah, yeah. I think when we listen well, it makes people feel loved, and then at some point we can ask permission to either disclose something about ourselves or something about the gospel. So if I'm in a witnessing conversation, I can say, well, could I share something with you that I learned? Uh, a while ago in church or in my studies or whatever, and, and often the person will say yes. If you've been a good listener and shown that hospitality, then they will say yes. Now you've asked permission. Now you've got the platform. You've got the bill. You've got the microphone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can say something about your own life and your walk with the Lord, or you can say something that you learned from Scripture or from a sermon or something like that. And It's a really great witnessing opportunity. But I, I like this idea. I do a lot of training in, in evangelism. I like this idea of asking permission of our non-Christian friends to take things a bit deeper than we've been going. Could I ask you a personal question, I might say? And and often, if trust has been built up, they'll say yes. I hardly ever, they hardly ever say, no, 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 no. <laughs> they say, sure. And then I'll ask a more personal question about their beliefs or their identity or their family or whatever it might be. And then they've got the platform again. And it's that kind of witness, I think, that's often much more productive than us just walking around preaching at people. Yeah, it's embedded in their in their, in world, their world. Exactly. And you've given them the power exactly. instead of taking... And the gospel goes there. Yeah. yeah. Here's really a comment, like that. That, comment that came in. In my small church group, people have a habit of not answering mm. and, and not having input. So I give mine. If they aren't going to talk, I'll at least try to contribute. Plus, I have questions and want conversation. 
I do have the thought that I may be talking too much, but when no one else is, then what? You're the small groups guru over here. I have one thing to share, but I want to hear what you what you think. Yeah. Um, so in those situations, especially, it does sound like it is a small group situation. Um, as a leader, or as a, as I'm training leaders, I often ask leaders to do an around the room. Yep. Like everybody needs to talk. Everybody just you only have to say one thing, just a sentence. Let's just go around the room. So. It could be if you're not the leader, whoever our listener is, first of all, thank you for sharing. I, I, I just know as a small group leader, when I get a lot of quiet people, that can be, that can be a That's long hard. night. Yeah. That can be a really long night. But, um, but if you do feel like, gosh, I end up, I walk away and I didn't learn anything from anybody because I'm the only one who talked, um, maybe you can... Maybe you can even mention that. Just say, God, it feels like I answer all the time. Could we just go around the room, you know? And exactly. each person just say one thing. You don't have to say everything, but just say one thing about in answer to that question. Even as a participant, I can ask for input from other people. Mm-hmm. So I might say, here's my reply to that, and then there's silence. So then I go, well, John, I would like to hear what you think about that. And, and I'm not the, even the leader of the group. But right. as a participant in the group, a member of the group, I think it's totally fair game to draw out a fellow member. Yeah. I always like to try to ask questions that are really easy to answer. Yes. Instead of like, <clears throat> what do you think about that? I might say something like, how good are you at asking other people questions? Hmm. And then instantly they go, sure. well, I think I'm okay at that. Oh, mm-hmm. I, should probably, I could probably do better. Sure. Um, sometimes I, when I do, do the open-ended question, I, I feel like, People's brains shut down a little bit. It's yeah. like too much, too many possible answers Maybe, or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, and how you frame it is important. But I do think listening is work, and you talk about being exhausted when you really took your level of conversation uh, up. And especially if you get around super talkative people, uh, listening is very tiring. You you kind of walk away going, whew, kind of glad that one is over. I need to take a nap. You know, it's interesting, Rick, because when you were talking about that, like one ear to God yes. and then one ear listening to this Listening in person. stereo. Yeah, that stereo listening. Um, I'm a I'm a spiritual I'm a trained spiritual yes. director, and so I sit with people for a full hour. And I'm there to listen to them talk about their spiritual lives, ask questions, encourage us to be able to gather, see what God might be up to in their lives. And for me, I have to take notes. Literally, listening is so demanding (laughs) that I couldn't make it through without jotting notes. So I always ask permission of my clients, but they just know I'll be there with my notebook. So it is a lot of work, but it's so powerful when we have that sense that God's already been here, God's going somewhere, exactly. God's at work, and I'm just following him. Exactly. Um, That's your theology then, of conversation and your theology of witness right there. Yeah. That then, then there's an energy to listening. I'm not just listening to this person. I'm listening to the very God of the universe for what he's up to. I'm involved in a sacred moment <laughs> here. And that That's can right. be exciting, even if I'm not doing all the talking. <laughs> right. I love that idea. Of course, it's a reality that God's already gone ahead of the conversation. And Rick, like you said, you just have to use discernment once you arrive to say, how can I be of service to to the king right now? Yes. And that often means that I ask questions of the other person just to find out where we're at today. 
and then I can know how to proceed from there. Not that I have this big agenda. My main agenda is to follow what God is doing. And that's not a hidden, bad, (laughs) ulterior motive. Right. That's walking with the Spirit, just like it says in Romans and a lot of other places. You know, and it's funny, um, when we go to Scripture and watch Jesus, he does exactly that. Um, uh, John 4, um, the Samaritan woman uh, story, is literally the longest conversation we have in Scripture. I had forgotten with that. With Jesus. Yes. Okay. So it's actually, if you want to just get a good, like, I want to see Jesus in dialogue with someone— John 4 is where we get to walk through and watch him as he goes back and forth with this Samaritan woman. And one of the things that starts this story um, in verse 4, it says, now he had to go through Samaria. He had to go. Oh, my goodness. And I love that because that isn't logistics. Like, he didn't logistically have to. No other Jew would have walked through Samaria. They would have walked all the way around, crossing over the Jordan River twice to avoid Samaritans. Skip Samaria. You don't want to get contaminated. Yeah, and it was dangerous. I mean, there were such high tensions. And so when it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria, the reason he had to is because he was listening in stereo. He was listening to God. And it is God that led him into this conversation. Wow. So so good. It's great. Yeah. So if we want to look a little bit at that, if you're you're in the car, please don't look at your Bible. But (laughs) if you are in a place, you know, go ahead, pull up John 4 and we kind of like pay attention to what he's doing. Um, Jesus is there at a well. It says that it's it's about the sixth hour, which is about noon. So it's not the hottest part of the day, but it's pretty hot part of the day. And um, he's and it says he's tired, and then this woman comes to draw water, and we then learn that Jesus is thirsty as well. And just the fact that he opens the conversation there. He doesn't open the conversation with, I'm a big smarty pants rabbi, and you're obviously an ignorant, uneducated Samaritan woman, and I need to tell you some things. Instead, he asks her for something. Hmm. He places himself in the place of need of interest in her, of recognizing her as a resourced person. I just love that we've been talking about humility. Yes. There's incredible, I mean, he was the son of God, right? He walked on water. I'm imagining he could have called the water out of the well. Yeah, out of the well. I mean, but he doesn't do that. He, He lives humbly as a needy person in this conversation and starts there with his own need. Would you give me some water? Now she's pretty surprised because in that in that time, um, Jews wouldn't ever um, touch anything that a Samaritan woman in particular would have touched. So it it had this transferable uncleanness. So literally, here her words are. Um, how can you ask me for a drink? Because Jews don't associate with Samaritans, but it's literally they don't touch the stuff we touch. You know. Um, so she's pretty surprised. She's caught off guard. The, the invitation is open. And then um, Jesus pivots from there. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asks you for a drink, you would ask him. and He would give you living water. And living water is this vital image in the Old Testament. God is often seen as living water. And so he's literally here introducing a spiritual conversation. 
out of his need for actual physical water, he now opens the possibility that she has a need, a spiritual need. Um, and uh, this living water is as opposed to just this well water. And immediately the woman engages him and she's very clever. She's very sharp. She's like, you don't have anything to draw the well from. Where can you get living water? Mm-hmm. I mean, she's she's doing this dialogue with him. She's entered in. And then she does this theological thing where she recalls that they are from the same family. She says, are you greater than our father, Jacob? And it's an interesting moment that she does because she's actually inviting Jesus to think of her as his sister, right? Our father, Jacob. It was a, it's a really—I I love her. Mm. I think she's—there's something so intriguing about her. Uh, she, she invites him to consider that they might be more connected— um, she's intrigued by this living water, and she wants Jesus to to recognize her place in the story of the history of faith. And she reveals that she knows a little bit of Torah. Yeah, yeah. This is not just this is not someone who just has no clue, doesn't know anything about it. She actually is fully aware of the story of this well, and it is a significant story. We may not even be aware of it. This well is uh, is an amazing well. One of the biggest stories is that Joshua, uh, this is the well that Joshua brought the people to, and they renewed their vows of the covenant, and the bones of Joseph were buried near here. So this is a place of covenant renewal. I mean, this woman is... She doesn't get enough credit. Uh, like, no, you know? I think we often see her as like this slutty, Lowly, needy. Yes, yeah. Yeah. she's got nothing going. Oh, she's just a bad gal. And no, the, she's clever here. She's he's meeting. He is meeting her, and he's drawing her out. And she's taking the bait, but she's not taking the bait as some kind of needy nothing. She's I, I know about Torah, and I know that our store what our stories are here. Um, Jesus continues the conversation. He lets her know that the kind of water he wants to talk about is the kind of water that um, that will mean that you never thirst again, that this um, spiritual hunger that clearly this woman has, um, is there is a water for that. There's an answer for that need for her. And he actually brings up this concept of eternal life. He says it'll become a spring of water in you, welling up to eternal life. And the woman cleverly said, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw um, water. Um, So um, he says, so at at that moment, she's, she, the conversation really could end here. She's, she's kind of made a joke. She knows that we're talking about spiritual things and she keeps playing back and forth with this physical water thing. And then Jesus says, Go call your husband and come back. Mm. And this, Rick, is your invitation. Mm, yeah. Can we talk about something right. more personal? Yes, yes. We've been talking about some of this theological stuff out here, yeah. and we've both shown we know a little bit about Torah, and we can do this. But then Jesus really asks, can we talk about something more personal yeah. here? <laughs> and her response is, I have no husband. And then Jesus, in this brilliant moment of insight, straight from God, there's that stereo listening, Jesus reveals that he gets her. Mm-hmm. He gets her pain. All right. We'll take a little break. We'll come back and continue our discussion on spiritual conversations with 
Rick Manson and John Afonso will be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. I'm back with Rick Matson and John Afonson. We were talking about spiritual conversations today, and one of the most interesting conversations was, was one that Jesus had with a Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. John, I know you've got a few more thoughts on that. Yeah, so we get to this point where Jesus kind of opens up her pain and, um, and, and, and says to her, I know that you've had five husbands, which, by the way, is not about her being a prostitute, for those of you that assume that. A woman can't divorce. So they dumped her. <laughs> yeah, they dumped yeah. her. And it could be for, there's a lot of reasons that could happen. It could be that she had some kind of a physical disability. It could be that she didn't have any children. Um, it could be that it's a, one of those Leverite things yeah. where you're marrying a succession yes. of brothers. Yes. And um, but anyway, she is he he sees her for who she is. She is this needy, broken person, and he sees that he names that and doesn't judge it, doesn't drive her away, doesn't treat her like she's an untouchable, and that immediately opens for her. The really key controversy. Hmm. And again, this is where we see a theologically savvy woman. She knows the problem is where we worship. Hmm. That you Jews go here and we (laughs) Samaritans are here. She names the theological issue. And Jesus lifts out. He, in the end, just does this radical move of saying that controversy doesn't even matter. Because spirit and truth is what we're really looking for. And she immediately goes to the Messiah. She um, she comes to this. Jesus actually tells her that salvation comes from the Jews, which is the cue that there really is someone. And there's a part, the, the Samaritans had the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, but none of the rest. And there's a, there's a scripture verse in Genesis and under Judah's, um, kind of his blessing, where we hear that there's going to come this ruler who will care for all the nations. So they have a theology of Messiah. So she recognized when we said salvation comes from the Jews. She engages him immediately with a good knowledge of Torah. She says, I know the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus does that ultimate reveal mm. for her. Mm that he is the messiah and it's the it's the show, it suddenly makes sense to her everything that they've done everything that they said he engaged her fully and so she goes racing back to town which by the way the town listened to her so for those of us that have a really low view of this woman you have to wonder why they would listen to her mm-hmm. if she is just this really low status person but she comes back to town and says i met a man come and see and so it's this wonderful, we get to see the full package there yep. in that conversation. But what I love about it is how engaged Jesus is with the woman in front of her and how he's drawing her out mm-hmm. 
um, listening to her, paying attention to her, and honoring her, not treating her like she's a nobody, nothing. And this gets back to what we were saying right at the start of the hour today, and that is quality conversation goes somewhere. (laughs) It elevates. It gets us somewhere that we weren't. I love being with people that enrich me and offer me the opportunity to enrich them so that when we walk away from the conversation, we both feel like we really gained something. And that's that's exciting. Uh, and I think that's the gift that Christians who have security in Jesus can can give that to each other. We don't do it enough. And then kind of that practice of giving and receiving in conversation we can take out into the world and witness. And it is a powerful thing. I love that. I love, Rick, that the end goal, although Jesus did it here, he brought her to salvation. For us, the end goal is really to have heard from God, Mm -hmm. to really have heard this person, to have heard in both of those places and had a great conversation. We don't, you don't have to have the get to the four spiritual laws. Like that kind of agenda can just crush mm-hmm. conversation. Mm-hmm. The goal is to have this good conversation with my ear tuned to God and my ear tuned to the person. And if there's an me. open door to share the four laws, do it. Do it. I mean, Amen. that's right. That's the, uh, yeah. Amen. We need to get to the gospel. At no, some I point. couldn't agree yes. more. So, Rick, during the break, you were talking about spouses and roommates. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you <laughs> know, at that. home. Uh, Sharon and I really try to practice good conversation and good listening, but I often catch myself not listening to her. Like, I'll be so engrossed in, uh, you know, the Golf Channel. And, of course, the Golf Channel is much more important than my spouse. (laughs) (laughs) And, I mean, that's how I act. That's not really true, but sometimes I catch myself acting that way. Uh, what's that old saying? There's none so deaf as they won't hear. It's not that they can't hear. It's yeah. that they won't hear. And am I taking the time to uh, listen to my spouse or roommate around the house? So that means that that asks the question, am I interruptible? Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes I'm really not, and that's okay. I'm doing something really important, and I'm not interruptible at this moment. But then can we say, okay, in 10 minutes from now or at lunch or this evening, whatever, could we talk about that? Or if I'm in the other position, if I need to talk to my spouse or roommate, uh, maybe I need to, if they're busy with something, maybe I need to ask permission of that person. Can we talk now or are you too busy right now? Can we talk later? (sighs) Some of those little habits, those little disciplines can go a long way in enhancing a relationship. And, you know, it's not just the one or two times, it's the Aggregate. It's the accumulation of these little isolated incidents over days and weeks and months and years that can really build a marriage and build roommates up to something or, I hate to say it, tear it down and make it a bit of a pain to be with this person, (laughs) if I can be so blunt. Yeah. Rick, it's so important the way a subject is brought up. Exactly. It's so critical. So the way you're inviting, saying... Later tonight, can we have a conversation? You're creating a safe space because the way in which something is brought up is really going to determine its outcome. Yeah. Right. And it also, you're assuming you need to listen and they need to listen. I mean, how many times I wonder in our relationships have things gone awry because we're just not listening? Yes. You know, I know in some of the arguments my husband and I can get into, 
It gets so defensive and so about being right and not about understanding. About understanding, like, right. Like so often, I think we need to say, have I listened well enough? Mm-hmm. That's the, not did I get my point across? Did I tell them what I needed to tell? Did I listen well enough that I really understand? And uh, uh, sorry if I'm a broken record here, but a theology then of not just conversation, but of listening goes right to back to the Shema. It's love of God. Okay. I'm listening to God. And then love of people. I'm listening to people because that is an act of love. And that means I have to yank my eyes away from Tiger Woods on the screen and actually listen to Sharon Matson here, made in the image of God that the Lord has given as a gift into my life. What's more important here? What's the priority? Good thoughts, both of you. Thank you for this conversation. Conversation. (laughs) Conversation. Well played, Bill. Thank you. you. Yeah. No, it's always a great reminder. And it's always, I think we can drift away from how well we listen. That's really easy to do. It is. And these conversations can really go somewhere. And if if we practice with each other, with our fellow Christians that we love and have so much in, com- in common with, then the quality of those conversations, I think, in the kingdom of God can spill out into the world. And uh, then stuff can really happen out there. Yeah, and that's, that's what we want to do, is spread the good news. And have uh, one-on-one discussions with people where they feel listened to loved, cared for. Mm. Perfect. Let's do that. Well, I hope you uh, have felt listened and loved and cared for today on the show. I thought the um, um, discussions were great today and I hope you enjoyed them. That's all of our show for today. I hope you have a wonderful evening and I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.